Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from sunny California and now living in beautiful Beijing. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex. Sure, I am also speaking to you in Beijing today, but I am proudly representing the Northeast part of China. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today we have a special guest. Kira Hopkins is a writer for the website Medium. When she's not writing, she's on a trip somewhere. Kira lives in Beaverton, Michigan, where she helps run an after-school program for at-risk children. Welcome to the show, Kira. Welcome, Kira. Hi. How's it going? Good. Very good to have you on. So you used to live in Beijing. How long did you live in Beijing? Well, I lived there about seven years. Well, I first went in 2009 studying abroad at Beijing Yuan Dashui. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then in 2013, I came back and I was there until September of 2019. Wow. Mm, BLCU. I studied the, I just studied Chinese language. So reading, writing, speaking, all this stuff. Wow. What did you study when you were at the university? <laughs> I wouldn't say I was fluent, but then again, I've got that whole Midwest humbleness going on. Are you fluent in Chinese? You actually, I did not know this. I knew Kira for many years and I had actually no idea that you knew Chinese Mandarin. Blowing my mind. I All this time, wow. you were like just not using your Chinese around me. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I don't think we were ever in a situation where I had to use wow, it. Wow, that's, I just assume, you know, usually when a foreigner, Alex, when they speak Chinese, they're like, I speak Mandarin, da 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 da. <laughs> like, but yeah, I curious not like that mm-hmm. apparently. Then it's kind of the case where I had the same um, same kind of thinking, but on the other on the other side, when I was in the U.S., if I met another Chinese person, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I know we both speak English, but I'm not going to speak English to you. I'm going to speak <laughs> Chinese to you." Huh. Wow. Where are you originally from in the U.S., Kira? So I'm originally from a a little town in Michigan called Houghton Lake. Hmm. So if you were to see a map of Michigan, there's like kind of in the northern part, there's like this, these two little blue dots that kind of look like deformed lemons. That's Houghton Lake. Wow. (laughs) This is going to go on their travel website for the town. (laughs) We're the deformed lemons of Michigan. Oh, yeah. There's like, yeah, there's Houghton Lake and then there's Higgins Lake. (laughs) Not just one, two. Houghton Lake's like, Houghton Lake's the largest inland lake in Michigan. And then we, every January, we have a big ice festival Mm. called Tip Up Town. It it celebrates ice fishing. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. In the past, they used to have the whole carnival on the ice. But in recent years, it hasn't been on the ice, just the snowmobile races. Could you tell us about what the whole carnival on the ice is like? Because I'm thinking of Harbin when you say that. So it's like what you think of, like with with rides and like there's snow sculptures, snow slides for the kids to ride on. And of course, carnival food. So like your funnel cakes and elephant ears and a lot of your greasy fried food. What's a funnel cake? It's basically fried dough with lots and lots of powdered sugar on it. Sounds good. <laughs> oh, it's, it's good. But man, does it hurt your stomach after. <laughs> so from when you started school, and regardless of traveling back to the United States for a while, to when you eventually left, you were on and off in China for about 10 years. Oh, yeah. I'd spent most of my 20s there. Did you go to Harbin to the ice festival there? That's one of the few places I never got to see. And, and I regret it. If I ever go back to China, I am going to Harbin. Well, I haven't either. I'm just asking because you, you come from a place with an ice festival i'm just thinking 
<laughs> could you compare the two? Go and compare, yeah. Yeah, because Alex, you're from the you're from Dong Bay, right, Alex? So did you go to the ice <laughs> festival in Harbin? Um, uh, no. <laughs> oh my gosh! I've all been, three of us. <laughs> for, for me, it's the kind of thing where it's like it's so close. I can go anywhere. Then I can go anytime I want. Then before I could, my mom's like, "Hey, we're moving to Beijing." So haven't been back there for the great. I've been there in winter. I just haven't been to Harbin mm. um, for the festival. Well, we're gonna all have to plan a trip because to make up for our basic lack of culture. Yes. Oh, and then record an episode. When you originally were coming to study in China in 2009, why China? Why did you come? So you know how when people ask little kids what they want to be when mm-hmm. they grow up? I never had a set job. I just told people, I want to go to China. Really? Oh, oh yeah. Really? So my grandmother, like my grandma Elaine from my mom's side. So my grandma Elaine, she was my mom's mom. She and my grandpa, from the time I was a little kid, they would travel the world. and. I was about maybe five or so when she went to China and she showed me all these pictures and I was like, okay, I want to go there. I never like thought of a set job. I just knew I wanted to, I wanted to go to China if nothing else, but I didn't want to wait till I retired. I just wanted to find the first activity or mm. not activity, sorry, opportunity <laughs> I could to go travel. And so that's how I ended up studying. Abroad. So what were in the pictures? The pictures? Yeah. The pictures grandma show, showed you. Oh, um. <laughs> Lots of little kids, other little kids. I don't remember a lot of them, just lots of different buildings, mm. lots of little kids. Buildings and kids. And you're like, I need to see buildings and kids. They have those in China. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, when you're a little kid, your whole world is just whatever area you're living in. Like, I don't even remember if I was in school yet or not. So where else have you traveled other than Beijing in China? I hit a lot of the big cities. So I went to Shanghai, Nanjing. Mm-hmm. I was actually in Tianjin the first few months when I first got to China in 2013. And Chengdu uh, mm-hmm. and Qingdao. Oh, I love Chengdu. Nice. Chengdu. Chengdu. Tell us a little bit about Chengdu. <laughs> yeah, Chengdu was really cool. I, I was there in like Chinese New Year, so it was pretty empty, which was nice. Like it just it felt like you had the whole city to yourself. That's yeah, that's something <laughs> that happens in all the big cities. Everyone leaves. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so I was there with with another Disney person who recently transferred to Chengdu. We went to see all the sites. So there's an archaeo- archaeological site that we saw, and then mm. a couple mm. of museums. And of course, the hot pot. Oh, yes. That is one thing I have not been able to find since being back is hot pot. And I miss it so much. Did you have the super spicy Sichuan hot pot? The authentic one. I saw it, but I didn't have the courage to try it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, that would be the first night of me being there is trying that. And like, you know, probably video recording myself, like with my eyes watering or something. Oh, yeah. Maybe one day when I go back. <laughs> You're listening to The Bridge. So, Kira, you're on social media and you are an avid reader. I would say that is an understatement. I don't know anyone who uh, seems to read as much as you. If I to, if I open my IG, I see Kira with a new book in front, holding in front of her face with the same kind of look where she's holding the book up open in front of her. And it seems like daily, uh-huh. it seems that way. There's always a new book with Kira like online. So could you tell us a little bit about your reading habits? Mm. It's something I've always done since high school. I've just a lot of times when other people were just going to sports games and doing other things teenagers do. I wasn't all that interested in that. I just felt like reading. I'd rather like be outside with a book. And in high school, I would do a book a day. Nowadays, depends on my work. But yeah, I'm just 
go to a library and I just read the inside cover. If it sounds good, I take it. If I don't, I don't. But I'm a huge fan of speculative fiction. What is speculative fiction? (laughs) Basically, it's... Have you ever read Stephen King? Yeah, one or two. Yes, please enlighten us. (laughs) Anything by Stephen King really is pretty much speculative fiction. So it's like a real, our reality, but there's always something a little different about it. So things like superheroes, or maybe there's like that one person with a little bit of magic. Mm, So they take one element of a normal reality and just change it. Yeah. Okay, it could be something like maybe one person has a strange power, or maybe there's a coven of witches where they all have different kinds of powers. It all depends on... The author's world. So is it kind of like world building? So we could just say, okay, one day Alex wakes up and everything <laughs> is the same, except for some reason, like the color pink is really popular. Oh, I thought you were <laughs> going to give me something else that's cooler. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Suddenly all of Alex's clothes are pink. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Maybe it'd be something like she drank something that she shouldn't have. And then everything she touched turned pink. That would be speculative fiction. Oh, I see. Oh, I yeah. see. So it's like Ooh. the, the yeah. golden goose thing, but only with pink. Yeah. <laughs> so Alex is desperately buying blue shirts and they're turning pink as she puts them on. No. Yep. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like a terrible reality for a pink hater. I know. I would much rather waking up one day after drinking something that I shouldn't have. And then I realize as soon as I touch a clothing item, it starts to fold itself. I don't have to fold my clothes. And it becomes clean. As all the the filth flies (laughs) out of it and it just becomes perfectly clean and folds itself. Yes. Right. And then the dilemma of that story would become like, is there a bad side for all of your clothes cleaning and folding themselves? Like, do you ever want them to not clean and fold themselves you but you the first time you try to put on a sock it w- won't go on because it's trying to fold itself it's just... <laughs> maybe that's just a sign you need to shower more <laughs> we did not mean that you have any pro alex is a very well-kempt person for all the listeners i try there. really hard <laughs> well okay i want to ask you uh so for most people kira i would just i'm just guessing i'm just gonna make this up I'm, i did not read a statistic but they probably read like a book a month or something so like you know for normal folks they don't read a book a day so what does it take to become uh someone who is able to read a book more frequently free time is one (laughs) which we don't have one of the advantages of my work is i get a three-day weekend so just a lot of just a little bit So, Rub it in, Kira. And then just lack of motivation to do anything else, really. I would say there's Midwest humility and then Kira Hopkins holding the Midwest humility like far away. So like, OK, most people I would say, well, they're like, well, you just pick up the book and you start reading. What's wrong with that or something? But like instead of the bravado route, you've taken the super humble route. Um, all right. What do you look for in a good book? Because you write book reviews on this website uh, frequently. So can you tell us what makes, I don't know, what is speculative fiction? What it makes a good speculative fiction book versus one that you're like, well, that was a waste of time. Mainly the characters. If you make the characters, you know, like if you make the characters interesting enough that I care about them and I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep reading to see where this goes. Mm. And a lot of it is also just points of view that I've never considered before. Mm hmm. It's like lately, a lot of my books have have had like old ladies as main characters. Mm. And that's something I haven't seen much of. If there's an old lady in a book written by a young lady, is she really an old lady or is she just a young lady's perspective that's, on what old, ooh, older okay. ladies are like? I would say it depends <laughs> on how much that young lady hangs around an old lady. Are you reading up stories with characters with older ladies because you're looking towards wisdom? One part, I like the idea of the story. The other part is I'm kind of like 
freaking out a little bit because I'm turning 35 soon. So I'm like, oh, God, I'm getting there. I better have all my old lady skills. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already kind of acting like a surly young lady sometimes or old lady sometimes. What, Alex, when you plan on, when you are an old lady, are you going to be a surly old lady? I don't know about that. I'm just going to be I think I'm going to turn out to be a very mean old lady. <laughs> wow. So, wait, Alex, how many I, I don't I don't want to put you on the spot here. I'll go first. I read probably in reality, like I read lots of news, so tons and tons of news. But in terms of a book, I only read a book every couple months, maybe two or three months. I'll read a book. That's more than that's more than me. I read. Here's the thing. Every year I'll read probably I will read like four fifths of about six or seven books, but I never finish any of them. Wow. I have, Yeah, I try to read it uh, during commute mm. um, to work, but for some reason, the book gets really old for me as soon as I pass the half point, and then I'll push myself a little harder to get a little further, and then it's just like, oh, I want to read a new book, and it's not because I don't like the book that I'm currently reading, and I guess that's kind of a it's like some kind of condition. You know, <laughs> like, Alex, four fifths would put you in like the worst part of the book where everything's going wrong <laughs> and the protagonist <laughs> is trying to solve something desperately and they're about to like, you know, overcome that. To, it becomes torturing and then just gave up. The resolution is like <laughs> right a couple chapters away. <laughs> I'm just saying, don't, don't you want the protagonist to end up like solving the crime or whatever? Or maybe my plan is to have 20 books where I have one fifth left to read and then then go on vacation and like Kira said, have three days, five days where I don't have to do anything. And I'll just read all the endings in one sitting. And then I get all the excitement in one sit one sitting. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're listening to the bridge. Kira, um, I want to ask you a little bit about China. That's really the reason we have you on is cultural exchange. So for a lot of people, they have very negative perceptions of like what it's going to be like. And then they come here and they're like, wow, this is amazing. I love it. I get a lot of people saying that, oh, I saw the news and it, it, they seemed not so wonderful. And then I got there and it was like paradise on earth. So but you seem to already like the idea of coming to China. What were your perceptions before and after arriving in China? I, I'll admit I had some small town perceptions because like I, you know, my hometown is super tiny. So I've heard all the mm. I've heard a lot of the stereotypes and the way people here talk. You'd think China was a, was a third world country like that, like mm. isn't very developed yet. Mm. And then when I came here, I was like, OK, this is way more convenient than I thought it was going to be. Like, I'd never even seen a subway until I came to China. <laughs> yeah, I guess that your perception is very different because what's the population of the town that you're from? The uh, awkwardly shaped lemon? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> two. <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head. I'd be surprised if it was more than 5,000, mm. especially because, like, the whole, it's a resort town. So a lot of times, like, people will come up in the summer and they'll hang out for the bit. And then once Labor mm. Day's come and gone, like, they're back in Florida or Arizona, whatever hot state they want to be in. So um, coming to Beijing, of all places, one of the top 10 largest cities on Earth, what was that like, not just in terms of China being different, but like what was like the big city like as opposed to home? It was a lot to get used to. I mean, it was a lot of firsts because it was like my first time on a plane. It was my first time really being away from family and friends because in the past I could 
if I wanted to see somebody, I could just drive. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that anymore. It was hard, like working Skype and having to deal with the with the Great Firewall. That was that I didn't know about Mm -hmm. until after I came in the country. You stayed for how many? One semester, two semesters in 2009? I was two semesters. So I left in July of 2010. So one year. So you came back years later. After you finish university. So you must have enjoyed your first uh, trip to China, to Beijing, right? Yeah, you were in Beijing both times. Mm -hmm. So why did you end up coming back? What drew you back to China? Well, the first time I came, I didn't... I think it was because it was just such a shock to me, just having this huge change. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit... I got a little bit withdrawn, and I didn't stray too far from my dorm all too much, unless I was going with a group. And I wanted... Mm. So I came back and I was just like, I kind of felt like I squandered my chance. So when this Disney opportunity came, I was like, if this is not a sign of a second chance, I don't know what is. And so I applied and I was like, Mm. I'm just going to just take every experience I can get and I'm just going to see what happens. And I did. Mm. So your second time coming, because your first time you stayed close to the dorm, you went out a lot more. What kind of experiences did you have? What kind of uh, cultural events did you attend or go to or places or localities like KTV and stuff like that? Oh, I was an avid KTV fan. (laughs) I mean... At least once a month, I was at least once a month, maybe twice a month. I was good at trying to get as many people as I could to like do a hot pot KTV night. What songs do you typically sing in a KTV? Were you singing Chinese songs? Sometimes one of my well, one of my Chinese coworkers was, was really good about challenging me to, to a Chinese song. But most of the time I was since I graduated high school in the early 2000s. So I was like beginner's emo mm. so your fallout boy your panic at the disco those are the songs i like doing mm. <laughs> oh no i aged you i'm well, sorry I actually i have no idea what you just said oh. okay it's okay definitely a gen x person when nirvana was popular i was young so uh emo is something i always thought is this like new goth <laughs> I mean, I will, i'll give south park credit they were pretty accurate on the whole goth kids versus emo kids versus vamp kids they were right they're all the same oh what's a fam kid of, oh a vamp kid. Oh, vamp. What's a vamp kid? Like vampires. When did vampires become popular? <laughs> I mean, I mean, they had movies uh, in the 80s, but no one was dressed up as a vampire. Twilight. Tw- oh, wow. Twilight. <laughs> Twi- yeah. yeah. I mean, Anne Rice a little bit. I went through an Anne Rice stage in high school where I just read a lot of her books. Could you tell us some of the your this is the cliche question. What kind of things did you like about Beijing food, your favorite foods, favorite cultural kind of things? Of course, hot pot was one of my favorites. Mm. And I liked I mean, it's just like a lot of the really strange things I really like. So I just liked that if I wanted to do something, I could just get out and go. I like, you know, just Mm. jumping on the subway. Like one of my favorite places to go was just Long Tan Park because it was so close to my apartment. Mm. And I just it was a good way to like if you need a break from the city life, I could just go there and just take in nature. I'm thinking as an American person, if I was like not well traveled and I'm like, well, why don't you just go to New York or Chicago or L.A. or San Francisco or Pittsburgh or something? Why did you need to come all the way to China to get this experience of freedom and big city life? Needed to just be away, be as far away from possible as possible from my hometown and like everything I knew. Mm. So I mean, I, I firmly believe that the best way to get to know yourself is to be as far away from your home as possible. If that means hmm. going all the way across the other side of the planet, then do it. So this is the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> oh yeah. listening to The Bridge. 
So you came here in 2009. What kind of changes did you notice culturally or anything from 2009 to 2019? Because it's a long stretch of time. Well, when I went to China in 2009, in a weird way, still, it kind of felt like I was living in the 90s a little bit. Like a lot of a lot of places you walk in, like, for example, the bank. They were still using paper with a lot of with a lot of things in 2009. Mm. And then in, tw- you know, 2013, I came back and yeah, the bank still took forever, but they weren't using as much paper as they used to. I mean, besides more buildings faster and the travel was faster. You know, WeChat didn't exist when I was studying abroad. So like things like WeChat, Ulama, all of those things, those were just things you would have never thought of seeing while while living in China at the time. I have a question. So you're back in the States because you guys have um, Grubhub and like stuff like that. So you have kind of like, <laughs> what what is the popular, you know, delivery service for food in the States these days? DoorDash. DoorDash. So DoorDash, is that all purpose? You can get whatever food is in the town nearby? As far as I know, yes. But where I'm at, it's really one of the few things available. It's, it's still a small town because mm-hmm. a lot of those things like Uber Eats, Grubhub, DoorDash, a lot of them don't go to the small uh-huh. towns. So you, when we, mainly stay in the bigger cities. Alex, if you are in a Chinese town that's, like I say, a fourth tier city, does Ulama still exist? They still have Ulama. Um, I don't know if, the, if Guilin counts as a second or third tier city, but Guilin has Ulama, Nanning has Ulama. Um, where else did we go? Yeah, I think the other the other cities, my hometown, like Changchun, of course it's there. I think Ulama is pretty much in every, at least third tier city. You know, what's really interesting. I don't know if you can do this, Kira, but like a couple of times I was uh, living here in this part of Beijing, the west side, Shijingshan, you know, where Alex would say, I guess it's in the countryside. <laughs> I didn't say it was the countryside. OK, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so I wanted Indian food one time and the only Indian food place I could find was in Senlitor. It won't let you order from there. But if you actually type in Indian food as a, um, a search, it'll pop the restaurant up and you can choose to pay a fee one time and my wife's going to li- listen to this episode later but I'm going to get in a lot of trouble one time I wanted it so bad that I ordered it and paid like a 60 RMB <laughs> fee for delivering it and it took the guy I was watching him like two hours to navigate like over to the west side of Beijing I felt so bad but like it was delicious <laughs> I'm just saying this for Kira because like what is the nearest like big city you know close to where you're living Probably either Midland or Saginaw probably Midland Midland's like about a 20 minute drive Saginaw is bigger and it's a little more major but that's like a 45 minute mm-hmm. drive and they have like you know everything you want would want like Korean food Chinese food Indian food that kind of stuff I right I think so I mean for that I'd probably have to go farther south to Detroit to Detroit Detroit and then you could get anything in Detroit right oh yeah so then ordering imagine trying to order Indian food from Detroit uh, that wouldn't happen <laughs> it would I'd probably die of food poisoning by the time I got oh, it oh no <laughs> yeah yeah it's a food poisoning case waiting to happen we helped Kira order a microphone and it only what took like three days two days to get there so it actually give or take yeah 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 I was actually surprised because if I order something on JD it comes in like a, a day or two and we ordered a microphone for Kira and it only took two or three days so actually the delivery speed in the united states seems like it's starting to catch up with china a little bit as long as it's not the u.s postal service the u.s postal service still takes a while mm-hmm. sorry we don't mean to trash on you u.s postal service exactly oh, yeah. you're listening to the bridge 
Okay, so there are preconceptions about China. I think you get both sides. Some people are like, China's amazing. And I've seen, you know, like how advanced it is. And you get the other side is like, oh, no, China, this or that. So could you tell us, uh, people, for all of our North American listeners, our Western listeners, could you tell us a little bit about China that, you know, helps them see what China's really like versus the perceptions that that might exist? I guess the main thing I'd want to say is we have way more in common than what North Americans think. Even something as simple as like cats versus dogs. Like I did not expect to see so many pet cats and pet dogs when I when I came here. I mean, I even brought a cat home. We have a lot in common is what you're saying. Yeah. So just things, you know, we like to, we're all people. We like, we all like music. We all like entertainment. Even if it's just, even if it's different, you know, I guess I'm not sure how to word that. And I think maybe it's just a little bit of an ego from the West. We got this little bit of an ego, like, you know, we have this, this, and this. So we're so much better. You have published a book previously. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) It's a bit of a fantasy. It's one I've been wanting to, I've been wanting to actually take it and republish it for a while. Mm Because on my part, I rushed to publish it. And so I didn't edit it as well as I thought. And so it's not, so it didn't come out like I wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And so I've been meaning to... I've been meaning to actually take it, take it off Amazon, republish it, like rework it and then try it again. You're also I I talked to you recently. You're working on a new book. Yes, I've so I'm a bit of a poet and I do have a lot of poet. I do have a lot of poems on medium and I've been adding more poems as I go. And so Mm -hmm. now that I'm actually announcing it to the world, now it's actually going to be like I need to sit down and do it. I have a bunch of poems written. I just need to actually like sit down, compile them together and <laughs> make a book out of it. Yeah. You know, I think it's very responsible of you to take your cat from China to uh, the United States. Could you tell us about what's involved and how much that cost? You know, it was a lot cheaper than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so around the time that I was getting ready to take her home, I mm-hmm. was hearing that it was going to be like I kept te- hearing people say it was going to be super expensive, be 10,000 quai, and the airline might not take all that great care of her. And so I was freaking out. And so I went looking around on WeChat and there's a, an organization called ICVS or IVCS. I'm not sure on the lettering. I can I could probably send you the contact card on WeChat later. And that's basically their whole thing is they just help you go through the process of bringing bringing your mm. pet home so you'll you take your your animal there so like with my cat i took her there and they gave her a very thorough checkup because mm-hmm. around when i brought my cat home at the time like china reworked all the requirements of taking mm. pets home because for a while china and the states were having a problem where people were bringing these where people were bringing these sick dogs and cats home from mm. to the states from china so the states was like, you know, this has got to stop. So basically China just made it by the book and was like, no more sick animals going to going to the states. Mm. And so you have to get microchipped. That was one of the first things they do is they put a microchip mm-hmm. in your animal. What does that microchip do? When it's on and registered, you can basically track your animal. Physically, the location, like a GPS. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Because it's actually, it's a problem with a lot of people that they'll bring their animal to a new country and that animal runs away. And so with a microchip, they can find that animal and bring them back. I kind of want that for my cat now. You do have to like, you do have to pay a fee and register it. I never got around to registering it, but Zoe just stays home and she, Mm. she doesn't even like going outside. She's like the, the only cat that if we leave the door wide open, she'll be the one cat that just 
that just mm. stays around us. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. Could you tell us a little bit about um, help our listeners come to a better understanding of China? I think a lot of our listeners who are listening are to help understand China better from an outsider's perspective. Unless you're actively listening, you're not going to get what you want. So what I mean by that is I had this, I would get this a lot whenever I'd come home on vacation or when I came back permanently. It was the weirdest phenomenon that people would just come up to me and they would just start telling me what my life was like in China when they'd never seen the country for themselves. Wow. Okay. Please elaborate. Yeah. 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 So they would, t they would start telling me like, oh, you've been living like this for a while. I bet the States is so much better. And I'd just be like, just kind of nod along because they would also, you could tell that, you know, they were just talking to me because they wanted to be right. They wanted you to tell them what mm. you wanted to hear. Actually. They would get so mad at you. And so I would just learn to just smile and nod and just be like, okay, I know you're not going to listen to a word I say, so I'm just going to let you say your bit and go. Wow. That reminds me of a similar, different question. You know, a lot of people, they encounter culture shocks coming to a new country. And like they go to France and or a lot of people, maybe they come from small towns, especially, I would say they go to a large city in a new country and they're going to be overwhelmed, not just by the other culture, but by the, the big city experience. Firstly, I guess the first half of the question is what kind of culture shocks did you encounter on your first trip to China in 2009? And my second question is, what kind of culture shocks did you encounter coming back to the United States from China? I think the biggest thing was how cheap everything was. That was that was one. And then I'm sure you've heard this a lot with a lot of people. It's just like the American resta Chinese restaurants versus actually having real Chinese food. That was a hard <laughs> yeah. one to get over. Well, yeah, because I didn't realize how sugary Chinese food is in American restaurants. Whereas in China, it has more of a kick. Mm. So like when I came back from China, I found I had a higher tolerance for spicy food. Sometimes I'll seek it out. <laughs> I've been hearing that like, that there's just some things about China lately since I've been back. I've been hearing that China has been changing up some of the things in, in society. So like, for example, restaurant etiquette in general, like I don't, I think it was probably 2015 where I walked into a restaurant on a hot summer day and it was totally normal mm -hmm. to just see like a bunch of shirtless old men just having a meal together. They were just sitting in there. They're eating. They're having a good time. They're smoking right next to a no smoking sign. And I think what year was it? 2016, 2015, they made smoking indoors illegal in Beijing. And I remember like smoking almost stopped overnight. But like I was in the mall. It was a Daoyuecheng, the Joy City Mall in Chaoyang District. And uh, I remember seeing a guy walking down the third floor of the mall, smoking a cigarette in public and thinking, don't you notice that like you're the only one doing that in the mall, dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, and it was always the really small restaurants that like that would still occasionally let people smoke, but mm -hmm. it didn't happen all the time. It was just if there was like no one else around or if like they figured mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't mm -hmm. care, they'd still they'd just do it. I don't think it happens. In, I mean, maybe out here on the West Side, it doesn't happen. I'm not sure. Maybe 2 a.m. and suddenly tune in a bar. It's possible that people are going to pop without cigarettes or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, But I, it doesn't really seem to be be a problem here. I think that not all cities have that law. So I think maybe if you go to some smaller cities, it might. Smaller cities don't really, they don't really enforce that. I yeah, think. yeah. That's that's my feeling. I don't know. I don't smoke, so it doesn't really come up for me. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. 
what? So you like to travel. Where else have you traveled outside of China? Oh, mm. let's see. I saw Korea, Japan, uh, Paris. Mm. I went to Bali my first vacation and Malaysia. I feel like there's another one I'm missing. But yeah, ever since that, I've just been. And then nowadays, every spring break, I just go to a new a new city in the States. Michigan is on the border with Canada. Have you been to Canada? I was on the Sault Ste. Marie side of Canada, but I haven't actually actively traveled there yet. I mean, you could just like pop in a car in like three hours to like be in Canada, right? Yeah. I guess there's like a bridge from Detroit that goes <laughs> that goes there. I just haven't tried it out yet. Detroit driving scares mm-hmm. me. And I I have a stick shift, so the stop the stop and go is just oh. a that's a fun one. <laughs> uh, so I assume you mean traffic. Oh yeah. Yeah. What were your impressions of South Korea, Japan, and Malaysia? Japan, I didn't know what to expect. Because you know, when you think when you hear Japan, you think anime. Yeah. And I I was a little bit of an anime kid when I was in high school and I knew there was like a little part of Tokyo that had it. But then once I actually went and seen more Japan, I'm like, okay, there's more to this Mm -hmm. than that. Mm -hmm. And so I could see like Mm. they had some of the most interesting museums I'd ever Mm -hmm. seen. Mm -hmm. Like what was in the museums? There was one whole museum dedicated to parasites. Parasites. What? Wow. Yes. There was a whole parasite museum. It was was a small, it was like the size of a a regular one bedroom apartment. And I just went in, I got. I looked at all the parasites and I was like, hey, cool. And so they just had them like preserved in these little in these little vials and you just got to really look at them. Like, that sounds oh. kind of scary. I don't think I could go in there. <laughs> I, know, I'm, like, I don't even know. Like I think of parasites. I think of the the all the videos of like the, you know, the operation rooms where they take one long string like thingy that's moving out of your body. Like that's what I'm thinking. Sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> So descriptive, Alex. <laughs> so what did you think of Malaysia? That was probably one of my favorite places I traveled. It was just a really cool blend of like Chinese mm-hmm. and Malaysian and Indian and all into one place. And I loved walking the markets. I loved just the different kinds of food. And there's just so many different things to do just in, in mm-hmm. Kuala Lumpur itself. What about South Korea? Just assuming because you're an American, that's the Korea yeah. you went to. Am I right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everything was like a fusion there. So like I could see... I could see the influence from the States. Mm. And so I think it was pro- I was probably in a... Because like I saw Seoul and then I went down to Busan. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it was probably Busan before I had like tradi- had a traditional Korean meal. Mm. Wow. Was, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was really cool. I just walked into a restaurant and didn't... I don't speak a lick of Korean. <laughs> and, the, and the ladies that own the restaurant, they just sat me down. They just gave me some food. And I was just... Because I, I don't know how to read Korean. So I'm just looking at it and I'm like... It was basically like food roulette. I was like, that one. (laughs) I ended up being really good. And they're like, here's your live octopus in the scissors. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Try that now. I I didn't try that, but it it was just like the, I think the one that got me a little bit was just the fish with the silver heads on. Because like, I I have a thing about my food looking at me. I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) I don't think I want, I, I mean, I'd rather not have my food see me and know that I I was the one why? that ate it. Why are you eating me? <laughs> exactly. Why did you do this to me? I can't even eat meat with bones in it because it's just like, oh yeah, this was once alive. Yeah, I have the same problem. Oh yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. I usually give the example of Amtrak, so I'm going to try to veer away from that. <laughs> 
Poor Amtrak just being constantly mentioned on our show. Jason constantly just <laughs> trashing on trains and public transit in the United States. I mean, you're not wrong. Money's a big thing. Another thing is like when I went back to where my parents live in Oakdale, California, uh, I went outside and I was like, where are the people? You know, like I was walking down the street and like house after house after house after house. And I just didn't see any humans. And like in China, you walk outside and it's just like immediately there's grandmas on the street dancing and whatever people walking up and down little cars like beeping at each other and like you know it, it's alive like the city's alive all the time if i open my window i can just immediately hear the flow of traffic and people and stuff so for me it was very silent it was like going into a, a scary movie or something where like everyone was hiding from like yeah. i don't know the monsters that can hear you you know that like that movie that came out yeah so i was for you what were some of the things that you noticed when you arrived back in the u.s that that maybe suddenly you looked at differently. I know people are not wrong about being overwhelmed by the amount of choice. I've heard that like from a lot of other expats, they come back from wherever mm. they were living and they said the thing that like gets them is just the, the amount of choice that they have with everything. And, and they're not wrong. And just being, and just using mm. English. Like the first time I came back from China in 2010, I came home, I came home for good. I remember my mom took me to a Burger King mm -hmm. and I had to stop myself mid order because I realized I was speaking Chinese to the cashier. Oh, no. <laughs> what were you saying? Do you remember like, exactly? Chicken nuggets. I was like trying to say <laughs> I was trying to say I wanted like the number four or some number because it was chicken nuggets. I'm the one American that does not like burgers. Ooh. Wow. Yes. I. You may actually be that one American. Yes, I am that American. <laughs> I hate burgers. I don't like hot dogs, but I could eat tofu all day and all night. Ooh. Okay, so when you say choice, what do you mean? Like, okay, when you said choice, I immediately thought of the cheese aisle. Because when I'm in the grocery store, I'm like looking for cheese in China. And I'll find, oh, okay, here's the cheese. I can have this cheese or that cheese. These are my two options. And if I go to back to the states there's like here's your aisle of cheese is that what you mean yeah but it was cereal cereal mm. oh man it's so much cereal or just like even having a drink like it's not just coke or pepsi but it's like coke pepsi dr pepper all this weird <laughs> or these weird flavors that are coming out now mm. like and just flavors mm. that i never saw in china like you know there's coke there and the occasional pepsi but then there's all these like random random flavors like orange vanilla coke it was a new one that I saw recently. Ew. Ew. I, I feel I feel like China it's, has it's kinda of like a creamsicle. Yeah, like we have we have like, oh, there's some sugary soda drinks, you know, or carbonated drinks. And there's some tea leaf fused drinks. And then there's some juice drinks. And then there's some other, um, you know, like soda water kind of drinks. <laughs> you go to the States, it's like, we have 20,000 different types of sugary pops that you could choose from. Or just sugar water. Yeah. You called it pop, Alex. Wow. Because I was, you know, Kira is one of the first persons I heard in real life say pop. Because my grandma told me that people, <laughs> people call it that. And I, and, the, and Kira said it. I was like, mm, <laughs> soda, right? And she's like, no, pop. And now, Alex, apparently you are also a pop person. I picked this up from my coworker who's actually leaving uh, China. She says she just revealed to me she's from Canada. And she's like, I cannot drink pop. I was like, oh, and then she kept saying it. So I started it started getting to me as well. Mm. And I was like, it's pretty descriptive. I actually like the word. It does pop. It goes it's like little pops, little bubbles mm -hmm. popping. Yeah. And saying that makes me feel like I'm in an 80s TV show.
I totally missed something that we should have talked about much earlier. You also work at an after-school program for at-risk teens. Is that right? Elementary age. They're not. They're not teens. But we do have the program, and oh, we do okay. have a program like that at the at the town high school. I run, I help run the elementary. Part. Uh, how are they at risk, and how do you de-risk them? <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of them. It all depends on the kids. So some of them, some of them, it's just mm-hmm. academics. They need, they need a little extra help with academics. Some of them, it's just behavior issues mm-hmm. and like, or just social emotional skills, it's just, mm-hmm. like different kinds of people. And then there's some of them that they just, they just need to see that like not all adults see them as a bad kid. Oh, that's very sad. Oh, <laughs> so you basically, you go in there, you give them like you, while you're teaching them, you're also helping them understand that they're good boys and girls and that they have options in life that kind of thing yeah so we'll go in like they'll get they'll get a healthy meal because like where i'm where i'm living right now mm-hmm. it's it is still a fairly low income area and so a lot of these mm-hmm. so a good chunk of these kids are living in poverty mm-hmm. and so some of them so like you know we provide healthy meals for them we'll give them like mm-hmm. extra recess time they'll get help with their homework and then we'll give them like a little activity mm-hmm. to introduce them to something they ne- they wouldn't normally get so there have been a couple times i taught them some chinese oh nice wow. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and so a lot of the it's fun because like a lot of the games that I did when I was working at Disney, I've been using with the kids here with learning Chinese mm-hmm. and they really got into so it. So you're actually helping spread culture from China to the US right now? Yeah. So I <laughs> I occasionally will get a little girl that'll come up to me and she'll just like ask me what my name is in Chinese. Like the pronunciation not perfect at by any means. But I'm like, you know what? You're into mm. it. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna respond. <laughs> so actually you're you're kind of creating little Kira Hopkins, Aww. little girls and boys who, when they grow up, are going to want to visit China. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good on you. Got to spread that love. So, well, you know, you traveled around inside China to several cities, Nanjing, Qingdao, Chengdu, Tianjin, Shanghai, Beijing. Which city did you prefer and why? Ooh, let's see here. I think it depends. If you had to come back, you know, where would you live? Either Xi'an or Qingdao. So why Xi'an? Why Qingdao? What's great about, what's cool about these two towns? Xi'an had a lot of history to it. I just loved Mm. being there. Just like, and then there was just the food. Like I love Xinjiang food. Mm. So I just, I just knew I'd be in what they called the Muslim Mm. district and eat all the time. And noodles, just noodles. And Qingdao is close to the water. I'm a lake dweller. So when my wife and I got together here in China, we wanted Mm -hmm. to go on vacations together, you know, to just tour the the country. We ended up going to Qingdao five times in a row for vacation. (laughs) And later we kind of regretted it. A little obsessive. Yeah, we got we kind of regretted it later. Like, why didn't we travel to more cities during that time? We kind of wasted two or three years just always going to Qingdao. It was because Qingdao was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there was one. Like just from the beer and the wine museum, I'm pretty sure I got back to my hotel room a little tipsy just from trying it all. Ooh, nice. There's a museum? Oh, yeah. You, you've never <laughs> been to the beer museum? I went to the beer like places you drink across the street from the factory. And I went to the zoo and we went to like the several beaches because we just kept trying to find like a cool beach, you know? Oh, the mm. beaches were cool. I walked by them at night, too. And that was really fun because you just saw all these. You would just see all these people there getting their wedding photos done. <laughs> <laughs> and so like a lot of them were standing on the rocks. There's this really cool one that they did late at night where the guy had like, where it was like the bride and she had 
some kind of sparkler thing and she would just swing it around in a circle and it made for a really cool picture. Yeah, I also, uh, you know what I noticed? There's some cliffs above some of the beaches and they have statues like there's a lot of, uh, what's the word, sculptures on the cliffs above the beaches. And so we took a, a walking tour for like what seemed like, I don't know, 10 miles. And we just took pictures of all of the really cool statues everywhere. Mm. Just about out of time here on The Bridge, a show that connects East and West. Thank you so much for your time and coming on the show, Kira. Thank you for having me. Lovely talking to you, Kira. Lovely talking to you, too. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.